Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're very welcome along to the season finale of the Group Chat Podcast. I'm news correspondent Zara King. I am joined in studio by political correspondent Gavin Riley. What a season. <laughs> what a season. And my fellow news correspondent Richard Chambers. Zara. Guys, <laughs> I just, uh, okay. Wow. As we start recording, uh, the Iraq This Committee is ongoing. So we're going to try and bring you as up to speed with as much analysis and insight as we can mm. under the circumstances. Want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I think so. This was billed really as a day of reckoning for mm-hmm. RT. That's what the newspaper headlines for the last number of days have been, that this would be the start of coming to terms with what exactly has happened in RTE over all of this time, how exactly €345,000 in additional payments were uh, aimed towards Ryan Tuberty. Why was this commercial arrangement, which is so convoluted, entered into? Why would RTE want to underwrite it, guarantee it, when it is purely for a commercial partner? Um I think I think it's safe to say, I don't know if my analysis will tally with yours on this, I think the start for the RTE, the members of the RTE board and the RTE executive was incredibly shaky. Mm-hmm. It did not seem like they'd settled well into it. And if you were looking to try and put your best foot forward at the start of a committee when you might have seen, there might have been people who might have just tuned in just to have a look. Yeah, first 15 mm-hmm. minutes where you make first the first 15 impression. minutes. Yeah. This is it. This is where your peak of your viewership is going to be on this live thing before all the, it gets segmented into news bulletins later on. I would say that was their weakest bit. Right from the get-go, there was a lot of shifting of eyes. Geraldine O'Leary was after, um, I think it was Imelda Munster from Sinn Féin had pointed Mm -hmm. a lot of questions at her. She was seen to roll her eyes a little bit, raise her eyebrows. Not great look in terms of, you know, public scrutiny. As well as that, Richard Collins, the CFO, he's probably been the man as of 3pm who's been most under pressure by questioning and I think, yeah, I think there's, it's certainly not going to be the end of it today anyway, in terms of this is it. It's all over. It's yeah. all done with. Uh, well, especially because the Public Accounts Committee is coming up. Well, oh, yeah. Not, not only that, that, but actually, let's just make sure that it's known from the outset that the chair of the media committee, Neil Smith, was talking to me before today's meeting got underway. And she said, we will keep going over the summer recess. And that actually is mm. important scene setting because, first of all, there might have been this expectation that RTE would try and put out their own fire today and tomorrow. And that would be the lion's share of the work done. Um, but also there was this fear that the longer this void goes on and the longer there are still answers being awaited for certain arrangements, that this could go into the dull summer recess. And then if Leinster House isn't around and TDs aren't there to hold committee meetings, that the whole thing would kind of run into long grass and then go away from there. And she says, no, we're going to keep going over the recess, which means already that this isn't a thing which is going to be finished today or tomorrow or next week or possibly even next month. Um, as regards how the committee has gone, um, I fully agree that it wasn't a great opening um, salvo from RTE, uh, but nor I think has it really been a very good opening salvo from the members of the committee either no. because with a couple of small exceptions. I think so. I think there's been a few probing questions. I think well, a few, but I, I don't think many. And I think... It's I, been, do I think, well, I will say... 
there is often an incident where people don't listen to other people's questions and they don't listen to the answers that are given to other people See, and it can end up being confusion and overlap. I don't think that's a deliberate, I don't think that's a conscious thing of um, leaving out other people's questions. I think honestly, and this happens a lot in the doll chamber as well, that they ask questions afresh because they want to be able to put up a video on their Facebooks or their Instagrams mm-hmm. afterwards of them asking the question and get the answer. And the impact of that video is diluted by you saying, I want to follow up on, on that other question that someone okay, else asked you fair, a minute ago. Yeah, okay, uh, but I also think it's pretty clear that a lot of the, the TDs asking the questions today and some of the senators too haven't actually fully read the documents that were put out by RT last night because some of the questions have been based on so you tell me that it's this and actually well no it's not and had mm. you read the paperwork you would yeah. know that it's not this and I don't think they've briefed themselves very well so yeah sometimes though it is worth actually just putting the facts as presented to them last night you know face to face sometimes mm-hmm. that does bear mm. fruit but I think in some instances they've misrepresented those facts yeah. or that they've misunderstood those facts I think what do you think Zara? Yeah, so, I mean, look, I think, I thought Imelda Munster did have a strong start, actually. I thought that was quite a strong start. And I think there was a, a whole um, round the houses about who signed off on what. And there was a couple of questions around that. I think it's very clear that um, the I don't know comes up quite a lot from people mm. who are in today because it's very clear that a lot of the answers that need to be given um, are in the gift of, of D Forbes, who is not there and who may never show up at an Oireachtas committee. Um, I thought an interesting point that just came up as I was coming in there just before we started recording was this conversation around like, what competition was there really for Ryan Tuberty? And I think yeah. that's something that actually hasn't been fleshed out enough really. In reality, um, it was a handsome deal for somebody and th- there's talk of loyalty bonuses and all that kind of stuff. But in truth, where was the stiff competition? You know, let's be frank about it. Ireland has two uh, television broadcasters, us and RTE. Um, it wasn't certainly in the public domain that the BBC were pursuing him, you know, to become the next sort of Graham Norton talk show host or, or radio presenter. Like it just didn't, you know, there was just real no clear indication of any competition. No, I think that's something which RT again, Adrian Lynch, who is the interim deputy director general, Kevin Backhurst is coming in to, to be the full time mm. director general uh, in very, very short order. But he got into a flow, which I actually think was quite effective. It's probably the most effective thing anybody in RT had done. Mm. But when he was put that question about where was the competition, was there any real consideration that Ryan Tuberty might have been a flight risk? And he was just like, just one sentence, wasn't even directly answering the question, but it's very effective at disarming it. I think the one, sorry, the one sentence was what Noel Kelly is very good at his job. Yes, there was that one about, yeah. you know, is a monopoly that Noel Kelly has yeah. a monopoly, basically. And the answer was, well, Noel Kelly's just very good at getting the best for his clients, yeah. which demonstrably he is. Well, but that's his that's job. Not really it the is question, his job though. to get the best for his yeah. clients. You can't dispute that. Mm. I would say, I mean, it's worth pointing out because a lot of the focus today, Wednesday, has been on the future of Ryan Tuberty mm. in light of the statement which was provided to the Claire Byrne show on radio. So basically, there was question marks after the whole palaver of the breaking news of the nine page statement last night just as the, the 5.30 news bulletin began. Let's come back to that. Let's, come, gonna, back let's that, come back to that because I but, do, yeah. we do like to break the fourth wall on these things. But, but in, in, in light of that Claire Burns show asked about whether or not these 75,000 euro in annual payments to Ryan Tuberty would continue as it looked like it would have done from the statement and the, from the report last night. Because it would have looked like this is something yeah. that they're legally yeah, obliged for years, to do. Four and five okay. contract. So RTE provided a statement to the Clare Byrne show saying that effectively they've written to Noel Kelly who is Ryan Tuberty's agent saying they believed his contract is up. It's done. They're in the process of negotiating a radio only contract at that point. But the old contract and all arrangements therein which is very important mm-hmm. uh, is effectively done. Mm. So this, this by virtue of having left the Late Late Show which is obviously a pretty core component of his contract. Pretty big one. Yeah. The biggest show on TV. Well, but the thing, the thing yeah, is, the Ryan Tuberty has, uh, or somebody close to Ryan Tuberty, I should say, has informed the Irish Times uh, that he does not consider his contract to be up. 
Um, and that leads itself to a very difficult situation. Mm. Adrian Lynch was taking questions about whether or not we're going to see Ryan Tuberty on the radio again. He's, of course, currently off air. He says, for editorial reasons, it would be impossible for Ryan Tuberty to currently be on air. And he restated that point when he's asked about the future as well. So yeah. that's all very much obscured. that yeah. sentence, didn't he? Mm. The... You can understand, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you mm. there. You can understand why, given that he was only on air seven days ago, you can understand how Ryan Tuberty might say, well, hang on, how can you say I'm out of contract? I was literally working up until last week. At what point do you think that the previous contract was negated or became moot? I was literally working for you last week. So you yeah. can understand if there hadn't been any like formal contact, you could understand how Tuberty might go or his, his agents, representatives and those close to him would go, well, hang on, how can you say I'm, I'm like, I was, I was on air literally last Thursday morning. So, like at what point in the last seven days did the contract lapse without mm. you telling me? So you can understand how it is a vagary, but yeah, nonetheless, having resigned from the late, late, it definitely is up for a significant rediscussion. Rediscussion, anyway. right. But my question about that, and this is something that I was quite interested in as, as everyone came out and there was great transparency and fairness to, with a lot of presenters coming out and talking about the breakdown of their contracts. But I was quite taken aback by how little um, money within their contracts was allocated to their work on television, that the vast mm. majority of the funds were actually being allocated for radio work. Um, and particularly given the fact that, you know, The Late Late Show was such a huge programme. I mean... I don't know, if we were to base it on audience, I suppose, maybe the radio show probably does bring in more audience day to day, does it then? Uh, it, it, the lay, so Ryan Tuberty's radio show would have a lower audience, obviously, than the Late Late Show did on TV. The Late Late would, would routinely get about half a million. over five days, it would be more, point, Over five yeah, days, yeah. 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 But I, yeah. I was quite struck by that as well, because mm. when Claire Byrne had her, her full disclosure, was it Monday morning? It's been such yeah, a long Monday, week already. It was, yeah, it was Monday. And, and disclosed that when she was doing the TV show as well, Claire Byrne Live, that she had been on 350 and then she'd given that up, the contract had been renegotiated and she was now on 280. Now, maybe in the terms of the renegotiation conducted by Noel Kelly, mm. that she got her radio rate bumped upwards a little bit. But it was sort of suggested that her radio work was worth 280 and her TV work was only worth 70,000 euro, which now, given the... her radio work is different though in a sense that her programme is over, it's over two hours, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Ryan's was one hour mm. and look anyway I don't know we're kind of splitting hairs over it now but I'm just I think the point I was, it was just, a high was profile part of current affairs offering on RTE yeah so I was just surprised by how little money 70. was allocated to the television work I just thought that was quite interesting I suppose I would have thought maybe it would have been worth more so I mean you would have wondered if there was going to be a renegotiation how much lower would it have been for Ryan Tuberty given yeah. up the late late show if well, television if, wasn't so if you want to take the precedent of Ray Darcy so remember mm. when Ray Darcy had the television show he was on 450,000 euro okay right and then he once he went radio only that went down effectively a drop of 145,000 euro down to 300,000 okay, effectively. Okay. Mm. So that is obviously the, the figures involved would be different. These are different people. It's at different times as well in RTE. Everything, yeah. um, but there was a significant drop down now once that, okay. once that okay. did happen. Yeah. Right. Um, I think if we're looking at how RTE works and as an organisation, I think they've done a decent-ish job today. Their executives, their bigwigs, their supremos who are sitting before the Oireachtas uh, Media Committee today, they've done a decent job of understanding that they are presiding over something which is not good. Mm. Uh, one of the most interesting bits back is our, our old friend Richard Collins, who, of course, again, was not very convincing at the start. He, CFO. he said, right, he is the chief financial officer of RTE, of a company, an organisation the size of RTE. He said that there was no follow-up to the transactions involved and the fact that they were approved by the then Director General D. Forbes was considered an internal control. So basically, just because the top person in the organisation said that this was okay, there was no follow-up to that decision. That is very, very bad. And it was actually quite interesting because literally as soon as he'd finished saying that, they went to Shuni Rahli, who's the chair of the RTE board, and she says, yes, the culture in RTE is wrong. She actually said it was shocking that 
the feeling was inside the broadcaster that just because this is signed off on by the DG, well, that's fine or I won't ask questions about mm-hmm. it. That's baffling to me. Yeah. yeah. Even on any smaller organisation, you can't just have one person with no checks and balances. If this, if this is what RT is expecting everybody to believe, mm. was the only person who had full knowledge of all this and signed off and everything. That is mm. madness. And even a small organisation. And this isn't a small, like if it were a small organisation, it would still be wrong. But RT is an organisation that has an income of around 400 to 450 million euro mm. a year. It receives like around about 200 million euro a year from the government funded through the TV licence fee. For the idea that there is one person who is such a supremo at the top, like it's almost Richard Nixon style defence, you know, mm. when the president does it, it's not only, yeah. well, if the DG says it, that makes it okay. And the very fact that the chair who presides over the same regime was then sitting beside him effectively and goes, eh, actually, by the way, our culture is totally rotten and it shouldn't really be that way. Like, and and that, that kind of gets to the heart of it because I was talking to some members before today got underway and I said, you know, how do you feel about D Forbes not being there and do you sort of feel like she's now being scapegoated and do you accept the bona fides as Leo Varadkar says he doesn't, mm. that D Forbes could be the only person on the board who really knew the whole circumstance. Okay, so can I pause you for a second there? The, the Taoiseach mm. doesn't believe them. Yeah. Like the Taoiseach doesn't believe them. Moments, That's yeah. a big, like we can't just skim past that. Mm. That's really significant yeah. that the Taoiseach does not believe well, that. It's a really huge moment for, for two reasons. Firstly, because the government hoped that RTE going into that committee today and again to the PAC on Thursday, that RTE would basically put out their own fire. Mm. That the, the government didn't want to have to go in and to start meddling and to appoint outside people to go in and examine the RTE books and to effectively look like they might have been compromising RTE's independence to a point. And the government really wanted RTE to try and be able to salvage the situation themselves as much as mm. they could. And then even before they got into the room today, the overactor says, actually, no, your story is, is clearly bunkum as far as he's concerned. And, and the other second reason is because committee members were going in there saying, when RTE says this, that only D Forbes knew the whole picture, either they're lying to us, mm. which is outrageous, mm. or the organizational culture is so broken that you have deliberate silos that are created across the organization and nobody fully knows what's going on except for the one broadly unaccountable person at the top. And as it happens, that is the defense that Ortiz put forward now. They're kind of admitting this silo culture. And okay, it's a better outcome than lying to the committee, but it's a pretty poor look out of how you're going to be able to sort yourself out. You look to leave something new to say to me. I do actually, yeah. So Shuni <laughs> Rahli, who I've already mentioned, is the, is the chair of the RT board. So this is basically your... It doesn't really work at the... There's two boards in RTE, which is very confusing. So there's the RTE board, which used to be the RTE authority, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And then there's the RTE executive board now. The RTE executive board is a lot of station managers. Basically, they run, they run the day-to-day the yeah. of the business. The RTE board is basically the trustees, effectively. Shuni yes. um, Rahali, who's only been there for seven months, I think it is, mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, she was asked about the business model in RTE in terms of this massive payments which are paid to a small number of presenters. She says she absolutely believes it's something that the RTE board now has to look at. She says, I would argue that RTE is bidding against itself because there isn't a market there. Mm. She says she's already discussed this issue with the incoming Director General Kevin Backhurst alongside that uh, thorny issue of the role of agents in all this as well. Mm. So I think Shuni Rahali, she's possibly being let down. This is just analysis by some people who are alongside her there today who haven't given perhaps the best accounts of themselves apart from I don't know or it was before my time or nobody Mm -hmm. checked with me. She's at least getting to the nub of the cultural issue which is I think what you'd want to see the board do at this point. Or she's willing to discuss it at least. You know what I mean? I think like there's an element of fear in some of the people sitting in the committee today and I think we need to be honest about that that they've, they've turned up potentially in good faith you have to expect and they've uh, said okay we'll come and answer the questions but they're almost afraid to engage in a conversation I think that's quite brave of, of Shun to come out and say that and actually acknowledge that that's something that 
needs to be changed culturally. Mm. And we will come to that after the break. So I want to talk a bit more about what how it affects um, people within the organisation. Just on that conversation though, Richard, about um, Ryan Tuberty, you know, allegedly not taking a pay cut when everyone else was taking one. That did come up this morning as well, didn't it? Or earlier this afternoon, that idea that um, the payment was essentially topping up a gap where there should have been a pay cut when everyone else was in a hard pressed time. Yeah, are we talking about 2017, 2019, are we? Yeah, yeah that yeah. is one of the most interesting points so far, isn't it? That was mm-hmm. what um, Richard Collins was saying. Basically, that Ryan Tuberty was due a loyalty bonus of €120,000 mm. when his contract ended. Collins, I have the quote here in front of me, says, that was never paid. For an unexplained reason, Collins said, that €120,000 was credited against earnings between 2017 and 2019. He says, this is being looked at. This is part of that second mm-hmm. Grant Thornton report, which everybody is really pissed off mm-hmm. isn't going to be around for another four weeks. Four weeks. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. now, it could be within four weeks, but again, this was this goes back to the dull recess thing. They thought they would kick it into the long grass that way. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I, and I, I, like as an outsider, I don't understand how it's four weeks if all of the documentation and all the paper trails are within RTE. And as Shuni Raleigh said, they're all, the Grant Thornton guys are sitting in the building right now, going mm. through the files. But also, like, how could it possibly take four weeks when we now know, now that they've gone on the record today, the CFO walks in and yeah. says, well, actually, the origin of the 2017 through Might 19 bit is this loyalty bonus and how it was accounted for and what way it was booked. Like, well, if you already know the origin of it, how, how would it take you four weeks to dot the I's, cross the T's and sort out the word formatting. Just get it done, you know. You were under a bit of pressure there in the newsroom yesterday. Uh, Richard texted me, Gavin, waiting for the statement to come in and said, I'm going to have a hernia waiting for the statement to drop. Li- literal words of mine, actually, yeah. So we were told initially and people in the know were told that the statement from RTE, which was going to deal with 2020 to 2022 overpayment of Ryan Tuberty, uh, was going to land around three o'clock which would be a lovely time if you're doing the 5.30. Easy you time to Very parse handsome. all of it to sort of say that's an important detail. Let's get the graphics department to yep. pull that for a, for a nice full screen uh, graphic on that. Um, what happened was everybody in the newsroom and every other newsroom in the country while also doing all their other things were sitting there refreshing the RTE website looking for the statement. And as soon as it got around to, I think it was about a quarter to five. You were literally bent over your laptop with your head in your hands, yeah. like fuming. Myself and like we were, there was a lot of like stress because like, well, what are we going to say? Mm. What's the RTE line? We haven't got to get it. I knew as soon as it got to a quarter to five that we're going like, to get it exactly at 5.30. Did you? And we did get it exactly at 5.30. Was it 5.29? Yeah. 5.28 or 5.29. And then you... I got it. I actually only got it now at about 5130 you had button. gone into the studio before it even landed. Because I didn't. Because uh, it was actually because yes, the intention was that you were going to do with with the understanding that we'd have the statement for a couple of hours. You were going to do like drill down what's in the statement. Yeah. Mm. And I was going to be then in Leinster House with what's the political reaction to the mm. statement, which I thought I would have in the two and a half hours since it was hypothetically published. And then at five thirty we're there, and at five twenty nine it drops, yeah. and we go, "All oh, right, frantic rewriting." So you're in studio at like five thirty four, five thirty five. So actually, giving us a summary of a document that you'd seen like five minutes previously. They moved Barely, my they yeah. moved my story up to buy him yes. an extra two and a half minutes. So this is what, this it's is the only time ever people were grateful for me being overtime on my story because <laughs> I bought Richard, Richard an extra thirty seconds. So what happened was I was waiting for the statement uh, to come out, and I was sitting in the back end of the studio. So on the you, you, you'll, you'll know our news set mm. where Colette is standing yeah. in front of her desk and the big wall with all of the graphics on it. I was sitting over where the six o'clock show seat sits out in the sofa there where Greg and Gronje were yesterday as well yeah, for the yeah. six o'clock show. And I was just waiting for a refresh I heard it buzzed through the air that the statement had landed. It got to me around 5.29, 5.30 or so. Two was very rapid with the print. Uh, and I was like, okay, we've got to read this. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was chaotic and then they were, we were making decisions about what story goes where then. Obviously you had the RT mm. staff protest yeah. yesterday which bought us 
a nice two minutes there basically to try and read what's happening I was negotiating an extra 30 seconds for my package which ended up being quite valuable in the end you you wouldn't need an agent you can negotiate extra time for your packages with with gradings I'm I'm, I'm literally the producers here kind of low level hate me because I'm always fighting for an extra 30 you're assigned 145 and you're like our producer Rory is fully sitting in the gallery going yep (laughs) nobody's like no it's ours like yeah Um, but yeah it it was a a heck of a job to sort of when you're presented with the links and there was two attachments two attachments like which one do you open first Mm. oh lord and like even in that moment you're looking it would be nice if there was an executive summary to sort of give you a free point where do I look in this document for the juicy bits so there was a bit of a a sort of a we had a bit of a a sort of a communal scroll between myself and Colette sort of having a look at it and just basically okay what do people need to know about this straight off the bat and it became very clear very quickly to all of us that the nub of the statement was that D Forbes is going to be thrown under the bus yeah. and thrown under the bus quite unmercifully mm. by mm. Uh, RTE's interim, interim director general. Not to throw smoke on our own forum, but that was a job really well done because yeah. to try and summarise that nine pages of very dense stuff into a concise two minute piece well, with five minutes there's always the fear when you come out that you've missed the very, line. Yeah. Like there's yeah. always that fear. Imagine, imagine yeah, I just missed everything where it's like, oh yeah, they didn't say anything about D Forbes and that in the end. But, uh, and we all resigned. Totally. But Zara, the, the staff protest, because everybody yeah. has been, I think actually Emma Kelly in particular, who is RTE's education correspondent yeah. normally, but she's very well known in journalistic circles for being a very, very strong union rep. Mm-hmm. She's sort of come into her own. A lot of people will become more familiar with her work mm-hmm. there over the last week in response to this scandal. But yesterday, the staff of RT on mass came out. Mm-hmm. What was their feeling around it? So yeah, we were sent over to cover this lunchtime protest in Donnybrook. And obviously it's always sort of a bit strange really, isn't it, to be sent over to cover something of, of like other journalists, their fellow kind of colleagues, yeah. you know, because these are people that we meet on jobs all the time. So you almost feel a little bit um, strange sort of, you know, being there and, and asking, you know, people like Paul Reynolds and Orlo O'Donnell like, and Sinead Hussey, you know, who are colleagues on the road to, to give you an interview effectively. Um, and, you know, I have to say I was aware and I said this on the emergency episode last week was the first thing I said was that I was aware that people would be upset about it. But actually, when you were in Donnybrook yesterday and you were face to face people, I was really taken aback by how really upset people were actually mm-hmm. that they were upset to the point of some of them were trembling. Sinead, um, you know, was really upset when she spoke to us. Um, you know, Paul Cunningham spoke very passionately. Mm-hmm. You know, he stood up and and he spoke about the freelancers and he said that the freelancers who were being paid a pittance, that it was just totally unacceptable then for them to find out that secret payments were being given to what he described as a special, you know, a special group of people and that there should be no special people that we are one or two was a term that Paul Reynolds had used. They were always told we are one or two and that the, this had been a kind of a terrible wake up call for people that they weren't actually one or two at all, that there had been a complete yeah. sort of separate tier. Um, let's just take a listen actually to some of the clips from, from that demonstration yesterday. So we want answers. We want the truth out. Truth matters. We're always saying that. We're always telling people that. We want the truth for everybody, for all of us staff who have been so badly let down, so badly let down, and the people of Ireland have been let down. Who would have known? I mean, that we have secret payments been made to one individual in the organisation that the board don't know about, that the finance department don't know about. I mean, they're serious issues. They may be legal, but are they ethical and moral? So obviously very clear there from from what you're hearing in that clip that people are really upset about this. Um, they feel like they've been lied to. They feel like, mm. um, you know, Orti ran a very high profile ad campaign in recent times called Truth Matters. And a lot of them made reference to that mm. yesterday and the fact that, you know, they talk so much about truth mattering and, you know, that actually what they've been dealing with now 
is a lack of truth and transparency from management at the state broadcaster. And I should say that, like, and be very clear, this is not a reflection on the editorial staff and it's not a reflection on the uh, journalists who work across RT and uh, no. News and Current Affairs at all. And it, they should not be punished for this this poor decision making at the hands of, of senior management yeah. of the RT. Well, not alone was their frustration and their anger like very visceral and very obvious when you spoke to them yesterday. But again, that was before the documents were published last night and we fully understood exactly yeah. what RTE were on the hook for. So like, mm-hmm. not alone the idea of undisclosed side incomes being guaranteed to top talent at a time when M.O. Kelly was saying that the TV remotes in the newsroom are broken or we can't get enough camera crews to go out to a certain place mm-hmm. or T.G. Gaher has no cameras of his own at weekends and needs to borrow them from the English language newsroom. Not alone all of those. But then last night they discovered that actually because of the arrangements struck with Ryan Tuberty, that RTE was on the hook for covering the costs to Renault of organising their corporate events that Ryan Tuberty was showing up at. Mm. And that they were spending tens of thousands of euro doing the engineering, the lighting, the sound, all the other bits and pieces that go go with setting Mm -hmm. up a private gig. The idea that you don't have a cameraman to work on your TV news bulletin at weekends, but you're covering the costs to Renault for doing a corporate gig. Like that's, I think so that is. For that. I yeah. totally agree with you. I think that is that when you did was it you did the clip where she said about the remote. Yeah. I just thought when when Emma Kelly said the remote in the newsroom doesn't work on the telly. I don't know what it was about that, but it totally resonated with me because I was like, wow, there's a whole cohort of people in there working their ass off to make television, and they actually can't even turn the TV on yeah. because they don't have the remote. And that is the crux of you know you're looking at people like Sinead Hosley in the Midlands and, and Laura Hogan, who's formerly of this parish up in the northeast. Two amazing journalists. The mm. girls are amazing. I mean, they are truly. Fantastic fantastic at the work they do. They're so devoted to, to their audience and, and to telling stories in their regions. Okay. And actually they're phoning in, like having to beg, borrow and steal to get a camera to come to their region on any given work day. And that's just not acceptable when you've got cash literally being splashed around the place to, mm. to senior talent for want of a better term. Yeah, and I think this is something which RT completely, this is of the utmost importance that they get right coming out of this, is that they focus on what is important in public service broadcasting mm. and doing knees ups and shindigs in car dealerships for a commercial partner and footing the bill for them mm. Mm. is absolutely outside of that remit. And um, it must be said again that Adrian Lynch currently is continuing to throw D Forbes under the bus saying that there is no way that RT would have agreed to underwrite the payments which was due from Renault before RT found itself on the hook to it to mm. Ryan Tuberty. No way is what he says. But it is mad. I actually was going to ask, why do you think, because that M.O. Kelly clip mm. has, it went sort it really of... really resonated. Yeah, it went yeah. super far. What is it, why do you think it resonated with the public so much? I just think it's, it brings it back to the bare basics, you yeah. know what I mean? And I also think as well, <clears throat> I said this last week, you know, there's kind of a perception and, and I'll get to, people were saying to me yesterday, when they got their job in Orti, it was the proudest day of their lives. They were, their families were chuffed. You got the big job in Orti and they went out and they had their first day in Donnybrook and they were so thrilled and so honoured to be there. In fact, Emma Keddy said she had imposter syndrome in the beginning because she felt just like, oh my God, do I even deserve to be here? This is so amazing. And, you know, there was this perception, I think, among the public that people in Orti are all earning big money and that they're in some kind of ivory tower, which is just not mm. the case at all. And we said this last week on the emergency episode, you know, when she spelled out the fact that the remote in the newsroom doesn't work, it's a tiny example point mm. of a lived reality but for people who are hardworking, jobbing journalists and producers and camera people and gallery staff right across the Orti network. Mm-hmm. That actually, I just think that that point, and because uh, in fairness, we can't expect people who watch the TV to understand how telly is made behind the scenes. You know, yeah. we can't mm. expect them to understand the crux of it. But I just think something like that really resonates with yeah. people. It's a really uh, basic. And thing. also, I suppose when you work for an organization that is broadly as well resourced, notwithstanding its obvious mm. failings as RTE, 
you're never going to go public with all of your grievances about the stuff that doesn't work or the stuff that should be done better, that you're not just going to go on a, a random wet Tuesday and decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go public about how the remotes don't work mm. and how we can't get camera crews. You, you, you want to be a professional. You want to get on and try and do the job as best you can. And then when the forum comes along that actually prompts you into this just visceral, you know, release of all this pent-up frustration that you've had, it does make it all the more powerful. There's one topic that we touched on in part one. It's just worth going back to just stress on for a minute which is how the, the arrangement with Renault and the underwriting of the salary and how all of this has been prompted by the perception that Ryan Tuberty was too big to lose mm. and that when the talks were coming around in 2019 about trying to secure further savings out of his contract, that they needed to do a deal like this to stop him walking out the door. And like we do have to stop and reflect on like, well, is there a market for a private sector Ryan Tuberty, at least in Ireland? Like there, there isn't. Like there's a market for maybe a, a few private sector current affairs presenters like Pat Kenny after he left RTE could work in News Talk and, and do some work in UTV Ireland and, and then more recently here in Virgin Media slash TV3. Mm. But there's no market for a light entertainment private sector presenter that's on half a million quid in the private sector because if you're going to work for, for Today FM News Talk, the, the Bauer Media Network, they'd have to pay TV money to make you walk away from TV if they could find a slot in the schedule that they wanted to put you on. Mm. And if he was wanted here. If we found the budget to put him on, we wouldn't have a ready-made format to, to put him into. And it would be mm. too much of a gamble to pay half a million quid or more for a presenter when you don't have the slot to put them back into. So like why RTE felt like they were over a barrel and had to stump up so much to keep Ryan Tuberty on the books when there is no private sector counterparts mm. or market for him anywhere other than RTE is... Mad. It just doesn't exist. Like it doesn't exist, does it? Mm. It's not there. It's not in the market. One thing actually, um, Anya Lawler is chatting to her yesterday. She was in my report as well. And she was saying, um, she was like, look, I don't have an agent. I have an NUJ card. She's like, I came into this organisation at a time as, you know, an entry level trainee scheme for journalists that was negotiated by the NUJ at that time. And, you know, she is at the edge of the, the top 10 earners list now, mm. um, but has worked her way through the system, I guess, and up through the system as, as a member of staff. Um, and she was really upset yesterday. And I understand that, you know, I think she really felt that, you know, this was going to take time to rebuild public confidence and trust. And she was like, but it certainly isn't the fault of the of the journalists who've worked their ass off to to produce, mm. you know, programmes and to, to really invest in that ethos of public service broadcasting. It's not their fault. Mm. What's happening over here? Just m more uh, poor performances at this thing now. So I'm just following updates from Louise Byrne, political correspondent at the Irish Mirror. She said, um, asked by Fine Gael's Alan Dillon what sort, of, what sort of pressure was placed on her by D Forbes Geraldine O'Leary uh, who is the commercial director of RT said that uh, the director general approached her several times to ask if there was another commercial deal that could be put in place Geraldine O'Leary says that she had no idea what the 75,000 euro represented as a percentage of Ryan Tuberty's earnings Adrian Lynch repeats that the relationship between the executive board members is siloed. And also uh, Sinn Féin's Fintan Warfield getting in on the act there, uh, questioning if the top 100 salaries in RTE could be published rather than just the top 10. Mm. That suggestion has been noted by Adrian Lynch. She didn't know what percentage of Ryan Tuberty's salary 75 Commercial director of the company. She's the commercial director of the company and Ryan Tuberty's salary was public. Yeah. How could you not know? Sort of feel like that's the, like, that's if ever great. there was a like a, a, an arrow in the middle of the, the board 
He's a love of Zeus over here. Go, Go ahead. The, the media committee is taking a brief break. So that is a, an opportune moment for us to, oh, okay, to, okay. to round up on that <laughs> one. I was gonna say, just, just before we go, actually, and this is the point I want, because yeah. somebody did come up to me afterwards at that demonstration or to yesterday and said, look, you know, the biggest fear for people, particularly freelancers and people who are um, on precarious contracts and, and, you know, unstable, sort of not permanent in RT, the biggest concern for those people is that if people stop paying their licence fee, that they'll be the first people to lose their jobs. And I think that's just a point that they wanted to echo is that there is a concern about, um, you know, people feel and you've seen that sort of element of protest online about, oh, why are we paying our licence fee and the people are frustrated. Mm. It is the people, I suppose, um, at the bottom of the pay scale that will be the first to be affected if the licence fee isn't, if people stop paying their licence fee and that's the point they were making. Well, this is what it all comes down to in the end, actually, is is the question of why. Why exactly would RTE create such a convoluted arrangement, one that has uh, effectively ended up with, you know, for the time being, ending its relationship with its top paid presenter, most highest profile presenter in Ryan Tuberty? Why would it do something and publish wrong figures that jeopardises its own reputation in such a way, including those of those very hard workers right across the organisation. It puts them in a really difficult position. But it's also now jeopardised their funding model, mm -hmm. where you have, and Michael Carrigi, uh, who is a Fianna Fáil senator, uh, who also is a postmaster, he says that people were coming into him asking, you know, in terms of paying the licence fee, should they revolute Renault or the, should they revolute Ryan Tuberty? Um, do you know, when you're having these sort of decisions mm. done with very poor oversight, at least that's what RTE is telling us, uh, to jeopardise absolutely everything that's important about public service broadcasting is just baffling in the extreme. And I think it's going to take a long, long time. It's a very, very long road back for RT at this point. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, in other news, um, obviously... The Ortiz scandal has dominated the headlines, but in the midst of all that, Richard, there has been a lot going on in Russia. Yes, we have had something which international observers... Not a coup, not a coup, it has to be said. See, this is the thing. Is it a coup? It was an attempted coup. What is the difference? Or was it a mutiny? A mutiny or a coup. Yeah. Or a, a scare for Vladimir Putin. But a mutiny would be a mutiny would be more um, just sort of a, you're trying to overthrow the leadership within the organisation of the military, really. Mm. Sort of like mm. you'd have subordinates mm. throwing up arms against, you know, your bigwigs. But Vladimir is not part of the military because it's a sort of a subcontracted outside independent yes. element. So, so it's military. worth at this point, so if everybody was sort of confused by what happened in Russia over this time and there was all this, you know, big concern over whether Vladimir Putin would survive or not, Wagner is a mercenary group. So these are a private army, uh, which Vladimir Putin has since admitted is fully funded by the Russian state. 
Now, some international observers would say that the need for this was basically to allow for deniability. Mm. If Russia conducted operations in uh, countries in Africa, which it did, uh, and Wagner conducted potential war crimes in Ukraine, mm. that Russia and Syria could... Too. And Syria as well. Yeah. Syria where it probably earned its reputation as mm. being particularly ghastly. Um that basically the Russian state could go, well, we didn't do it. Mm. This was Wagner. This is a private organization. You might as well like look after, you know, Microsoft or Google or whatever like that. We're not connected to it. Except it's a freelance army. Yeah. Which is a weird concept to get your head around, but that's what they are. So funnily enough, Vladimir Putin found that trusting a private army of mercenaries is not the most sensible thing sometimes. Okay. Funnily enough. So they threw down arms in some sort of a dispute uh, with Russia's military leadership and decided to turn all their trucks and all their vehicles towards Russia and drive up the road towards Moscow. But then I think they discovered that they didn't have enough support in the Russian military that not everybody's going to join them. So a bit of a deal was cut between Putin. But they got a good bit up the road before they realised They got very that. far up that road, up road, which is why everybody got terribly excited about it. Mm. And everybody's like, oh my God, Vladimir Putin might be deposed yeah, from power. Because they're presuming that the Russian forces would have tried to stop the Wagner forces on the way to Moscow. And yeah. they basically met no resistance. The thinking was, oh, well, is that it? Are the Russians now rolling over? Are, are the, the ground troops the rank and file just rolling over and allowing the leader to be toppled. So Yeah, so and there was people, people came out in the st- on, on the streets to celebrate these triumphant Wagnerites who were, who were coming through cities like Rostov in, in the south of Russia. And, um, but then it all just came to a very dramatic and sudden close. And uh, the Kremlin said that Prigozhin, who is the formerly known as Putin's caterer, he's in a load of photographs previously, uh, where he's like showing bottles of wine to world leaders as Putin sits at the top of the table. Um, He's been moved to, to Belarus. He's moved to ba- Belarus and a load of the Wagnerites have gone to Belarus or they've stayed and f- will now be fighting with the Russian army. So effectively Wagner, which has been doing a lot of the boot work in Ukraine, is no more. It doesn't really make a huge difference in terms of how Ukraine, the Ukraine war will operate. But it does raise some questions about how strong Vladimir Putin's grip on power in Russia really is. Although I think some people are probably over-egging that one as well. There, I think one thing that was striking was on Saturday morning when all this was kicking off that Vladimir Putin went on national TV and bearing in mind again this is a country where they still refer to the war in Ukraine as a special military exercise in which you're literally constrained by law from saying too many critical things or, or representing the war in a certain mm. way. Um, Putin goes on TV on Saturday morning and says basically this is an uprising we will have absolutely no tolerance for this we will crush the saboteurs mm-hmm. to borrow a phrase. And by Saturday night there's a peace accord brokered by the PAL in Belarus and they're all going to go off there now and we won't uh, prosecute anyone and everything's fine now, thanks. And you wonder if there were people on the ground in Russia who genuinely bought into the motherland's grand vision of what was going on in Ukraine and supported it. Will that be undermined by yeah. the leader going on telly like twice in 12 hours? The first time being like, this is an uprising and we will spare, we'll show no mercy. And then second time being like, grand lads, nothing to see here. Like surely even the most loyal Putin follower thinks something is awry. This was all on Saturday, wasn't it? This yeah. Saturday night. I actually stuck on The Death of Stalin, which is an incredible oh, film for a moment like this. Would recommend it. Uh, some of the best black comedy of recent years. Mm. Uh, very, very funny. It was, it, was, it was an opportune moment to, to revisit that. But um, I don't think people, I think this is the thing, is that people in the West and outside of Russia thinks that everybody in Russia just buys what is put out by the Kremlin. I think most people in Russia probably understand that this is a war in Ukraine as opposed to a special military operation of mm-hmm. some sort of description. But they're more than happy to just either A, go along with it for their own safety or that they have bought into the idea mm-hmm. of Ukraine not being its own sovereign country. But it is, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one. It's going to be one to watch and whether or not, you know, there's further purges or, you know, clampdowns as a result of this by Putin's Russia is 
probably something to, 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 to keep an eye on. So Glastonbury at the weekend, I didn't see any of it, I'm going to admit. I didn't see any of it. Did you watch it? Did you love it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, the closest I get to going anywhere these days is, <laughs> is when the BBC put Glastonbury on television. <laughs> uh, Elton John said on Sunday night was sensational. Was it? Yeah. Uh, and when you think, it's a, I didn't realise until they got going. Uh, and the BBC just do this all, all this so well. And you just think about the resources that go into producing it and they just, they do it so brilliantly. Elton John had never played Glastonbury, mm-hmm. ever. Like in, in his 50 something years well, Was this his career. very last gig ever? Very yeah. last gig in the UK British it seems yeah. gig ever Although he's had farewell tours for years now yeah. <laughs> well, no, well, This yeah. farewell tour has literally been going for four years because the Irish dates the dates in the in the three arena yeah. uh, were Seven a couple, and a half million viewers on BBC Live yeah. I'm told by Neil the, So the um, the Irish dates in the three arena for the going away tour I think I bought them for my father for Christmas 2019 yeah. The gig was only on like three months ago it got delayed so many times so it's been a farewell tour that's been going on a bit but like just for that to be your last like your last ever performance on British soil in your home country and for it just to be so triumphant mm. and a showcase I remember you pointed this out a showcase of not just his incredible back catalogue but also giving a platform to the next people yeah. to get them over he did a great job Rina Sawayana was, was another one of the people who, who he showcased in that and that's just very Elton John I've, I had previously listened to he used to do a radio show maybe he still does it on Apple Music on Beats 1 their radio station and again it just showed he was just so interested in modern music he felt it was kind of his role as a custodian of music to just push people towards what's new and what's exciting in music my favourite thing though of Glastonbury Weekend on TV was uh, Rick Astley who people might remember <laughs> from um, yeah. Never Gonna Give You Up uh, himself and a band called Blossoms uh, did a secret set where they did the Smiths. They basically did all the music of the Smiths and it was absolutely sensational. It felt great. His voice was fantastic. He was having oh. fun. And I was just like, I want to see a full tour of Rick Astley and Blossoms. I remember there was a chain email that went around it was like, you'd be Rick Rolled and you'd yes. mm-hmm. send you an email you'd to pass. That's, what, that's, what, that's what's almost... That's before was... there were cyber attacks though. It was before the cyber yeah. attacks. But that's what's yeah. something which is so joyful about it is that Rick Astley was this absolute comic character and everybody laughed at him. And, now, and then he played main stage at Glastonbury this year and he played, uh, I think that was in the Woodsies tent with Blossoms and people are just, you know, discovering what a, a great and fun person he is as a, as a musician and a vocal artist. It's great. It's very nice to see. Mm. Appreciate it for that, that Lewis Capaldi set, by the way, as well. Now that he's had a statement Sorry, yeah. about, about yeah. needing to, to step back from touring and there was a moment where he was so clearly just overcome by the nerves of the whole thing and he's been very vocal about his, his struggles with anxiety and being diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome as well. But just what a... Yeah. What a moment. Like you, you would think that being in a crowd of 200,000 people that there'd be real anonymity and that you couldn't have a rapport. Mm. You're just one fella on a stage with a guitar and 200,000 people staring at you. But how you can just create this unity between people. I think it's people. that vulnerability that Lewis Capaldi has that really mm. appeals to people actually that they feel mm. like they see a bit of themselves in 100%. him. That he's kind of the polar opposite to someone who puts bravado onto things that actually the fact that he's so upfront about how he feels about things is why people really love him. Did you watch the documentary he did? He did a Netflix documentary. I haven't watched it yet. Really, really good. No. I would really recommend really. that actually. I think it's Netflix. Yeah. It's a really good one. Um, we're nearly out of time folks. We're coming to the very end of this season. This has been a very long season. It's been a long <laughs> season. in January, did it? Did we, were we originally going to take a week off for a week or two we were, but then Easter, and then, Joe then Biden Joe Biden happened. arrived. Oh, that's right. Joe so Biden arrived. You were on the yeah. back of a bus doing the group chat instead. God, I forgot Joe Biden came. Donald wow. Trump was here. I think a lot of the, I would say a lot of what dominated the season though was was the viewer interaction actually and like the, mm. the viewer and listener feedback on things like particularly housing and we're going to come back to that again the next season that's going to be uh, no doubt a dominant topic. Also the Hutch stuff, Richard, almost feels like a lifetime ago as well. It was... I mean, big. there's so many different twists and turns in that one. Yeah. There was, of course, you know, his acquittal. There was the 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 G-Sock story with the G-Sock investigator who yeah. went to his homecoming party. That was an unholy rigmarole when that all got going. 
Um, oh. There's just so many. It's 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 been such a fascinating season in, in terms of the big stories that have happened. Do you remember we had so much in terms of feedback around the eviction ban in particular and the, yes. that being lifted? Totally. That was, that was yeah, a huge yeah. one for us for a number of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, voice notes and people sort of sending in their own experiences of it uh, was a really, really rewarding thing. It has just been a long run. Though. It's been a long run. <laughs> I just, I, I was trying to stifle, thank God, for the end of the well, season. Still, Not that I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be finished. Yeah, yeah, we're all still working on the news every day. So the, the news at 12.35, 13.07 and, and of course the Schneider Show will continue on. And? And... Potentially, I mean, if something massive does happen, there's, oh, there's a chance. Listen, now there's that we know, we'll be there. now that, now that we know glass. how to make an emergency episode, we will be, we will bounce, we will spring into action um, as soon as something is warranted. That, but yeah, I think we expect to be back probably the last week in August, first week of September. We actually haven't got a date confirmed yet, but you mm. listen, you'll see it across. We've not learned anything from RTE not to give specific times and dates right. to it. Right. <laughs> it's under negotiation <laughs> with all of our respective agents. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do for like the little bit? I mean, we're going to be still working, but like, if you yeah, I'm still working. Working for three or another three weeks before I'm on holidays, uh, but I am going camping with my family in France for five oh. days, and then we're going to Disney for a couple of days. Oh, lovely, lovely. A lot of uh, a lot of road tripping around Are France. Actually, France. Uh, first week of August. I'm in France the second week of August. Ah, big country. We'll, we'll probably, probably, we should probably not hang out. But, you <laughs> we'll know. catch up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, golly, yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that's <laughs> what we're up to. Yeah, so looking forward to seeing how the kids deal with the ferry and the road trips and Huge. all the other. Miscellaneous family management Beautiful. follows. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm going to France uh, for my cousin's wedding in Bordeaux, and then we're going to Toulouse for a few days. Which I keep telling everyone I'm going to Toulon, but I'm not. I'm going to Toulouse. Mm. So, well, in a sign of things, nice, but you're in the opposite <laughs> corner of the country to, to where I'll be. So mm. yeah, and I'm actually going to the Aran Islands for a concert in the middle of July, which I've never been to the Aran Islands. So I'm really excited about that. I've never. I'm 35, and I've never been to the Aran Islands. I'm a disgrace. How's the training going? You're running the roads and you're looking great, by the way. You're like, your training has been so... Spelt. I'm I'm really enjoying the updates though on the gram. There's yeah. There's playlists going up and stuff, there's, isn't there? There's literally hundreds of people are following these running yeah, playlists now. And I love I love backlash off it as well. Most of it's in good nature by people <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah, Clintar 5 mile in July, Phoenix Park 10 mile in August, I think it is. It's all going well. It's been a great summer. So it's actually one of the best summers I've had in a long time. Yeah. Just in terms of the weather was great. I was off for two weeks there. Uh, had Beyond the Pale, had Dublin Pride last weekend as well. How's that go, by the way, actually? S- sensational. Turnout from Bowes, uh, I have to give tribute to everybody there who turned out, all the good conversations we had around representation in sport. And just, it was an amazing weekend. I think everybody had a really good weekend at that. And just, yeah, some nice nice stuff left for the rest of the summer. Playing a bit of tennis tonight. You're playing tennis? Like, yeah, playing a bit of tennis. I'm just doing new things this summer. Second. I thought I was the tennis player here. You're playing tennis. Playing tennis, it's a one-off thing and then an extra picnic down in, uh, at the start of September. You're playing uh, tennis. We should play, you know I have those rackets living in my car and I 100%. never play tennis. We should play. I've, I've never played. I have, well, I should tell a lie. I, I went to Lululemon and bought a tennis skirt about three weeks ago. So now I, <laughs> I now have a now, tennis now skirt. Now you're ready. Up until I've, now, I have you all the gear. I have all the gear and none of the impetus to actually do it. But I haven't got it. We'll play tennis. I know, I've, I've moved back to the north side but I'm taking part in this outside activity to take up the tennis you can take up Rubik's Cubes and I'll take up the smoky eye and then we'll all swap chairs when we're coming back in September we're all back what a team wow what a season what a slog I'll miss I'll miss miss these days together Mm. folks we'll 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 probably end up doing an emergency episode in like three days we probably will actually yes (laughs) thank you so much for listening don't forget to share uh, your feedback with us I love reading the comments particularly you can't write them on Spotify but you can write them on Apple so if you're listening on Apple now this is your instruction mm. to go and leave us a little bit of feedback on the season. Uh, good, bad or indifferent, preferably good. And uh, we will catch you again in a couple of weeks time. Thank you so much to everyone in the gallery. Thank you to Maxine. Maxine. Oh, Maxine. Maxine. Maxine Bramley. Yes. Maxine is moving to Limerick though to become our um, reporter. Midwest yes. reporter. So congratulations, Maxine. We are so proud of you. We love you and we're going to miss you. Thanks everyone. We've got to go. Take care. Bye. See you next Bye. time. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.